1: All right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here at Adia Wine Company with Anne and Dean Fisher. Yeah, it's August 1st, 2019. Uh, thank you both so much for joining us today. We really appreciate yeah, this thank you. for your hospitality here. Um, let me start by asking you why wine? Why wine? Interesting question. We got
2: started in the wine industry basically as a hobby. Um, we we uh, Anne was in the financial business and. Prior to that, we lived in Portland and we uh, found this piece of property out here and bought it uh, in 1983. Moved in in 84. January 1st. January 1st. What a disaster.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But we didn't move out here. Yeah. We hadn't found Pinot Noir by that time. No. Not really. It was after you started doing some fabrication. Yeah. For Ponzi and Chateau Benoit and, and a bunch of dicky yeah. stuff. Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, we we started out originally when when we first bought this place. Um, I was working for a, an equipment company in Tigard, Oregon, yeah. utility equipment, building custom trucks uh, for the power industry. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years of the transport you know, commute, I decided. To, why not just start my own company? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I did. I started Aerial Equipment um, Specialist and I built trucks for Portland General Electric was basically my biggest customer but uh, West Oregon Electric, all the little PUDs and mm-hmm. co-ops and Bonneville Power even, but um, and that went on for quite a few years and, and uh, we bought this place and uh, um, and got pregnant with Adam (laughs) and so we put another uh, mobile home in here and uh, it had a little single wife when we bought this place. It's just 22 acres and it's not really um, designed or or perfect for grape growing. Uh, This property isn't. It's more timber. The
0: first grapes were planted more for landscaping and keeping um, the weeds at bay <laughs> yeah. for his allergies.
2: Uh-huh. And that, that was in 1990. We planted those. And they, they were actually uh, plants that Mike Getzel had left over from the bro fair when he was planting it. And so he helped me and we planted that vineyard uh, in 1990. It it's on its own root. Mm-hmm. it's dry farmed. Uh, and it was basically perfect for a hobby. Um, you know, it's a the 300 gallon, or is it 200, 200 gallons? I can't remember. It was perfect for that. Uh, we cropped it really low yields and made some really nice wines off it. And, uh, and of course, we didn't start getting fruit till 93 or 4. It was 94 when we first, uh, um, the first fruit hmm. that we processed. We processed that at Bikes, didn't we? Yeah. We, that was made at Brofair, but uh, prior to that uh, Mike and I had uh, worked together for, he worked here in the wintertime at Ariel, and, and uh, uh, in summer he'd work in his vineyard, and uh, so we started, uh, I was building something for Dick Ponzi at the time, and Mike was selling fruit to, to Dick, and so we talked Dick into letting us make the wine at his place. So that was the first, the first uh, <coughs> I guess, it was Dino's Pinot Butte <coughs> Vino back then. And, uh, and so we made wine for three or four years off of Michael's vineyard. And, uh, and then we, uh, and then Michael talked Robert Parker into uh, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and start the winery. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when Brofair started. But we made wine at, at Michael's for quite a few years even after uh, Eric Homaker had come up and um, Eric was dating Louisa, Dick's daughter, and uh, we... uh, Dick introduced me to Eric and um, and Eric was talking with Hal Medici about starting (coughs) the Medici winery and so we, Eric and I uh, Got together and and uh, I built the sorting line. Um, the first sorting line that I built was in was Michaels, and the house was the second. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And now there's twenty of them. 20,
0: 21. Twenty-one.
2: 22 sorting lines in the valley that I built. <laughs> Bergstrom has one. Uh, Freya Coleman, Kramer, Kramer, Koala. Kamala. <laughs> Koala, Hamina, yeah. wow, Cardwell Hill down in Plymouth, uh-huh. yeah. uh-huh. they've got one. Uh, I'm trying to think who Iota had it. Uh, Scott Paul had one,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which I built for Kelly <laughs> uh, Fox uh, when she was working with Scott Paul. And uh, anyway, so they this this tendril, t- tendril, yeah, he has one. But uh, I don't know. It was, a, it was a fun product. but so. It, it happened in, I think, in 1993 uh, when Keith Orr broke his leg. I think so. Yeah. Well, he, was, he was buying fruit from Whistling Ridge. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyway, we scrounged around. Uh, he, he wasn't able to make wine that year. And so we, we uh, uh, worked with the outworks to uh, make some wine and uh, realized that we were making more than we should. <laughs> and uh, got a license, <laughs> for a license, <laughs> that's how. And our original label was Fisher Family Cellars, uh, was the original label. And in, in 1999, we ordered the foils for the 97 vintage, um, and Ramadan sent them to Fisher Vintage, California, and they called us and told us they had an international trademark and da-da-da-da-da. So, we went back and forth on that for a little bit, and decided to change the name <laughs> to to Adia. Well, they were good well, about it. They, they said, really "Use
0: up it. everything you have, but then don't make Fisher the
2: yeah, the right. focal point." Mm-hmm. So we changed the the, the name brand. to Adia, which is an acronym for our family: it's Anne, Dean, Erica, and Adam. And uh, yeah, that was in 1998. Was
1: the first release of Adia.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Tell me about going from planting a vineyard just as kind of a hobby to actually, like, deciding this is what you wanted to do. Like, was there a, a moment where you decided winemaking was the thing you wanted to do in wine business? <laughs> Interesting story there, and a whole other one. Uh, aerial equipment,
2: of course, was building roughly 40 trucks a year for Portland General Electric, um, and Enron came into the picture. Mm-hmm. And Enron pulled everything in-house at the time. and we know what happened with Enron. Mm -hmm. And it was about that time that we just decided, well, you know, it's a good time. We've been doing this for 15 years or so, and it was a good time to step out and swap the duties. Mm -hmm. So Adia became the primary thing, and Aerial Equipment was still building sorting lines and stuff for uh, the wine industry. But we were making wine. Uh, interestingly enough, we made it was fun. we would leave here and go over to Michael's and for the fermenters coming off the Whistling Ridge uh, Vineyard okay. and here, and then I'd go down to uh, Hal Medici's and do my punch downs and stuff for the fruit coming out of Yamhill and Coleman. That vineyard. was
0: $6.7.
2: Six, seven. 1998. And eight. 8 was the last year we were at Cheese, And um, we were going to move the winery home here, and that's when all this had gone down. Mm-hmm. This kind of stuff was. Mm-hmm. And um, Eric Limelson, uh, mm-hmm. Eric Homaker was helping uh, Eric do Limelson do the uh, design for his new winery that mm-hmm. he was building in 1998, 99. So the first year of Limelson was 1999 and Eric invited me to come help him work the bugs out of his winery, right? So I went over and we were at Limelson's 99 2000 2001. Mm-hmm. And then we moved the winery home in 2002. And at the same time, we we uh, started doing alternating premise.
0: 2000 was when we got our
2: or wasn't it? well
0: when when the state applied. finally oh. said, "Okay, that's, that's you can job. have multiple wineries and do the alternating premise." Well, and we, we Eric actually Kamaker had to, was really instrumental in yeah,
2: that. Yeah, Eric was instrumental in changing because before they didn't allow for an alternating premise.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, anyway, we we uh, moved the winery here. Uh, in 2002. We
0: and had custom crush people.
2: had, well, had custom crush people. I remember Chris was here and Roots. And Roots, and, uh, um, Gisella, and Marcus Goodfellow. Was well, he Marcus, oh, Terra was here.
0: Antiqua and yeah. Ruby Carbonaro.
2: Yep, yeah, forgot about him. That's what Roots, was, that's what Chris was doing was mm-hmm. Ruby Carbonaro.
0: And when yeah. they left then Antiquitera was here for a couple, well, three and four, yeah. five, and then in six Bishop Creek and Matello, which is now Goodfellow, mm-hmm. and um,
2: Todd Hammer was here. In Todd seven.
0: didn't come till seven and '12.
2: Yeah. And, 12, yeah. and Kinsella
0: was still here.
2: Oh, yeah. Pinsella was still here.
0: So there were five. We. It was the Gaston, Gaston 5.
2: five for a while.
0: Until Todd came in, and it was Gaston 6.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we, we'd have winemaker dinners, or guest chef dinners, at that, I guess at that time. We'd guest chef dinners, and so we would all pour a different course. Mm-hmm. And then the main course, we'd all put a bottle of peanut on the table. So there was eight people to a table.
0: Yeah. And six bottles of wine. And six
2: <laughs> bottles of wine. It was a. Uh, yeah, we had to curbed that whole thing a little bit because it got pretty well. But uh, uh, the thing that I was thinking about was the process that we went through to get the winery license here because we're in an AF-10 zoning and at the time they did not allow for a winery in an AF-10 zoning, at least in Yann County. And so we had to go through a huge process to get that done and actually change the zoning for this piece of property an RI resource industrial in order to do the winery. And shortly thereafter was a year or less after that, they finally decided that they would allow a conditional a use permit. Conditional use permit for a winery. They have 10 zoning. But it was a big deal. And we had county commissioners involved and everything else to get this whole thing done. Uh, it was it was quite the process. Uh,
1: but it all it all did work out, except for a change to zoning of a big chunk of this property. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this property. Uh, you mentioned yeah. you purchased it in 1990. What 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 drew you to this property, and and what what have you kind of learned of the history of it?
0: Well, well we purchased it um, in 1983. Oh, sorry, at the yeah. very beginning the, of right. '84. In in
1: 80. Planted 80. 80.
0: And um, and then when he was doing the fabricating for different wineries, making dumpers and things like that. Yeah. He was getting to taste Pinot Noir and then we kind of fell in love with Pinot Noir and that's then, where the
2: bug bit us
0: and then uh, yeah so that was probably in 87 <laughs> yeah. and then we and then we met Michael and he had the extra plants and we planted that stuff and and it just it went from there um, so the property was not purchased
2: for with the
0: thought of vineyard ever. <laughs> it
2: just happens
0: And um, we chunked off a 5-acre piece that when his brother moved up from California because the 20 almost 22 acres had been plotted in 1910, 10 or yeah, 12.
2: 12, I think.
0: And so we didn't have that limitation of only 10 acres or mm-hmm. or 5 right. or something.
2: so it was was already divided. divided. Yeah. So there was was one, two, three, four lots on this 22 acres. Hmm. My brother, we sold him the set, it was a five acre lot, a little over five acres, uh, where Erica, our daughter, lives now. Um, uh, Randy passed a few years back and uh, the house, we built our house in 96 up on the hill uh, and it was on a seven acre parcel. And the winery's on almost six acres. And then there's the original home site, which is a one acre parcel, because that's how they kind of used to do it.
0: And that's where the original vineyard is.
2: Yeah, and that's where the, the old Pomar block is. So in 1999, we planted the upper block. Hmm. Um, because
0: the fir trees and the emus and
2: Etc. were
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. moved on. <laughs> yeah.
2: we, got, we got Larry Tro talked us into buying
1: some emus. This was oh my god. Oh, we've
0: tried everything. Here I thought, you were, oh, I thought
1: you were. joking about emus. No, it's oh, no. serious. <laughs> yeah, we had emus. No, yeah, and next
0: we, thing you know we had like they sold them, of them for the um, yeah. oils. They made yeah. there were lotions Jerky and, and, lotions and yes.
2: stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it was it was quite the ordeal until uh, they.
0: We had two left. We had actually they had, laid eggs and yeah. some baked Beautiful hat.
2: Big, big green eggs. Yeah. It's like green eggs and ham. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's a, an entire, what, twelve egg omelet if you use <laughs> one of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're huge. Yeah. We didn't uh, eat them very often, but because um, we didn't want to crack the the green eggs—they really were so impression. pretty, you know. Yeah. So you had to poke a hole in them with a little tiny drill and
2: and break the oak and,
0: and get the stuff to come out.
2: Oh uh, my God! I mean, they were beautiful. We had we had them all over the place. And
0: the <laughs> they don't taste like chicken, no. and they have to be marinated. I mean, not the eggs, but the meat. the meat. Yeah. it's kind of
2: nasty. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> we had a couple escape. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, the last two that we had, the last pair, and somehow they wiggled around Any with shiny, shiny latch. Right, if you
2: had a pin paint. in your pocket, they pick the pin out, okay. you know, or anything like that. It was really shiny. So they picked at the latch on the gate until the gate opened. And finally, they got the little clasp thing off, and off they went. Yes. Neighbors <laughs> call us down over Cove Orchard.
0: <laughs> there were people calling all over the place. I'm trying to
2: find out where they, they were.
0: They were walking up to houses. and Some lady called. She goes, "My kids just got home from school and they're by themselves, and there's a bird at the back door." And, and they were afraid. And oh god. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah Oh, that yes. That was hilarious.
0: <laughs> yes. But, uh, so, no more emus. <laughs> yeah, so we
2: got rid of all our emus. Yeah. And there was a tree stand here. Now the original people that bought this, they had they had owned it since 1912, and that the Parent Blooms, and they um, had planted a, a tree farm, a Christmas tree farm. And of course, by the time we bought the property, they were 20 feet tall, and they were planted fairly close together. So we had that we made the, we used them for the posts in the in the up there for the emus. So the emus had nice sheltered. <laughs> pins and all that stuff. <laughs> well we had a real heavy sto- snow that one year and the outside row fell and then the rest of the trees kind of went like dominoes. This was after the emus were gone. It's, yes. Yeah. So that's where we decided to plant that. We pulled all the trees up and all that stuff and planted them. in front the upper major. And those were Vadensville, no 777. Seven seven. And it was all grafted on 3309 rootstock and we uh, acquired the plants from Mo Montazi, where we bought fruit from as well from Mo for quite a few years so uh, Coleman's out there in the Montage. Coleman. so we uh, we used their fruit, nice fruit we had the B block up on top of the hill and uh, oh, after a while Mo decided he wanted that block for himself mm-hmm. we were making some really nice wines. so
0: that's yeah. probably when we added
2: the Cherry Grove Vineyard. Yeah, yeah we, pulled in, we pulled in Cherry Grove, which is a little further into the coast range, about six, seven miles from here, um, up towards the town of Cherry Grove. That's Cherry Grove Vineyard, but uh, really nice fruit there, 115, 777, mm-hmm. the two blocks that we had there. Antiqua Terra had block up there in Crispburg, and uh, Roshaw, I think, had one. and. I remember who all was yeah. in there, buying fruit from from uh, Bob Steinberg.
0: and then we had the Hawksview Vineyard.
2: Hawksview Vineyard was the other one. Nice fruit, shale mountain stuff.
0: I guess we had it before it was Hawksview. We had some Merefield. Yeah,
2: Merefield. Original. When, when originally we started with them, Bob Grimes was the vineyard manager, and it was uh, Merefield, and then uh, Jack Kemp that Anne knew. Well, he, she was uh, involved with uh, well,
1: the
0: Management. Columbia
2: Management Company and was a VP, first woman. <laughs> <laughs> BP. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we bought fruit from them. They changed the name to Hawksview.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, Jack passed and then AJ took it over and, uh, and now it's a new, some new folks. New in owners. Now. New owners now. Oh
1: uh, but we we bought fruit from uh, a lot of different people over the years. What did you find about this site for growing grapes, and what is it you look for when you're buying grapes from others? Well, soils uh, a big part of it. Uh, we
2: we worked with the uh, Durants in the Dundee Hills for quite a few years uh, under their Red Ridge Farms. Uh, I made wine for them on a chair crop kind of a thing for quite a few years. Um, And as as that kind of grew uh, with the, uh, with their meeting they started having more and more people, I think Jesse Lang was doing Pinot Gris and um, uh, Wilt was, was Joe Dobbs made a little wine off there and and Marcus Goodfellow. Eric Hamaker was, was purchasing fruit but they had people making wines for them, mm-hmm. for the Red Ridge Farm. Mm-hmm. And the only way you could tell the difference was by the BW number on the back of the label. Because it was the same label, mm-hmm. the BW number was the only thing that was different. So we did custom crush for them as well. Mm-hmm. We did quite a bit of custom crush work um, as well as alternating premises. And so we're, we're uh, now here with Kelly. Kelly's our newest tenant and Tebow who was with, with Will McKenzie for 15 years, I think, until they sold to Jackson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're, we've downed our production quite a bit, um, just because we're this is a comfort zone that we're in right now. We, we do most of the wine we build right now is for our, for our wine club. Mm-hmm. And uh, and right here at the bar at the premise.
1: Mm-hmm. It. Tell me what your what your winemaking philosophy is. What do you want your wines to reflect? What do you want people to get out of your wine?
2: Well, I, personally,
1: I, I I like
2: it. I'm very very uh, non evasive uh, as far as the handling of the fruit. Mm-hmm. I want the fruit to express itself, and and. Uh, you know, I, I the balance uh, we've got. I do single vineyards for the people that I buy food from. I'll do a single vineyard for them, and then I do one called Dino's, uh, Dino's Pinot, and then that's a barrel selection of the cellar, and that's for my pal. That's for me. Uh, I did one for Anne too. Did Anne's Sacred for many years, and she says, uh, "I need to retire." You know, <laughs> stop making it. <laughs> so, it didn't work. It, it was great. People loved it. Well <laughs> I
0: know but I mean it didn't work to quit making the label. I didn't I retire. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> haven't quite got there yet. No.
0: Yeah.
2: So now we're building a place over at the beach mm-hmm. in and neatarts. Uh, tarts. It's only an hour and 15 minutes so we can live over there and commute back and forth for my for my wines that I make. And, mm-hmm. The idea label, and with good tenants like Kelly and Tebow, it's really simple. They're they're uh, uh, don't have to babysit anybody anymore, so it's really nice. Yeah, you, I don't think you need to be in there
1: or not. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned kind of getting bitten by the bug by a Pinot Noir. Yeah. Tell me what's what's special about Oregon Pinot Noir to you, and what's maybe special about the Pinot Noir you're making.
0: Special. Pinot noir, pinot noir, it it goes with everything. It, it doesn't, um, I mean like a, a big heavy cab is gonna, I mean that almost is your meal where a Pinot Noir just makes the meal better. Yeah, it just pairs with and everything. It's
2: just a beautiful line. It's hard to describe what grabs you about Pinot Noir. And it's so different. And the same fruit or same vineyard and different hands making the wines and they'll be so different. Um, it just it just is captured by the maker who's producing. Uh, I don't know. If that's we both have cellar palate. <laughs> <laughs> we drink a lot of our own wine.
1: But
2: uh yes. I don't know. we drink a lot of other wines too, but but uh, we kinda like ours. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's uh, and different but you know you, you pull fruit from the Shehalem or from Dundee at that red dirt out of the Dundee Hills it uh, has got a whole different flavor profile Shehalem does. Mm-hmm. Our vineyard is very unique and it's it's a east-facing animal and, it, and it's so it's, it's usually the last fruit that comes in mm-hmm. and we even though we crop the yields are real low. They, it still takes a while. And we're typically tenth of October before we're picking our vineyard.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Where other vineyards, I'm almost done, you know, fermenting by that. But on some some occasions, but, but um, it's 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 its own thing. You know, it really is. It's just a beautiful little vineyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's, it's small
0: enough that you can actually, we could actually pick it. Ourselves, yeah, which we have done. Although a couple years ago, I said I'd had enough. <laughs>
1: so we let, I Could. But we I did, could. We could.
0: Yeah. Um, we Somebody used to. We did many now. years. We yeah. did. We did do it, and um, we had neighbors who would come and help, and it wouldn't yeah. take very long. And then the uh, Portland Community College had a uh, wine appreciation class on mm-hmm. some Saturdays, yeah. and did they that came. And picked our vineyard uh, probably four or five years At least. there would be about 20 and they'd be done in almost an hour <laughs> done where when we were doing it it would take all day. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. But <laughs> it was so, a lot of fun when the group come and then one year. And, yeah, yeah
0: we gave them I mean we Showed them, let them even see what happened to the grapes after they picked them. Some of the uh, students
2: would hang out mm -hmm. and stay through the whole process.
0: Do the sorting. Help
2: all the sorting and so forth. And We'd we'd break out a table and throw a bunch of cheese and wines out there and just have a good old time um, with it. And it was a lot of of fun. Uh, Mm -hmm. In 2002, I think it was, didn't that, we did the 23-hand cuvee? I don't think it was. Yes. The, the class decided that they wanted to uh, make a barrel of wine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So we 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 made a barrel of wine for the class. We kept it separate, and they actually came out to help bottle it. And the reason we call it twenty three hand cuvee because one of the students only had one arm. Right, so twenty three. They hands. came. They came up with
0: that. They <laughs> yeah, didn't they that. We didn't
2: do that. We did a private custom label for them. <laughs> <laughs> and for and a. And a barrel of wine 20 24 cases of wine it's a lot of fun
0: yeah
1: it's been it's been a uh, uh, a nice journey mm-hmm. I'm curious about uh, a couple of things from the kind of the early days. Uh, you obviously you came into the Oregon wine industry, and it's still infancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're working with a lot of the, the, the kind of the early names in it. So tell me about sort of your introduction to the industry and what what it what it appeared to be as you were getting to know Dick Ponzi and Michael Etzel and people like that.
0: It was a family.
1: Yeah, family.
2: Close ties. Everybody helps everybody. We had a... Uh,
0: well you would get together and talk about uh, the wine uh, and at different when it was time to, to put the blends together for the different bottlings that whoever and there was always m- more than just us involved, there would be
2: Well like in Thomas Batchelder remember you mm-hmm. we'd get together over at Lemelson's, and, and uh Brian from Bell Bell uh, Belpont Appel-Pont would be there and and of course a whole bunch of us. People would come in. We'd all set the table and drink the wines, taste the wines, and talk about who, what we were putting together. Who was who was doing what? It's very similar. A lot of things like that. With Steamboat, you know, was another one that would was uh, a big deal for us. Uh, would like to go up to Steamboat and uh, and talk about all the wines and, and taste people's wines and and what they were doing. You know, IPNC is always a lot of fun. Uh, ready for a beer at the end of that (laughs) (laughs) no doubt yes but uh, yeah we haven't done one for a few years now but we've done quite a few of them yes but uh,
1: yeah I uh, tell me about the process of learning to make wine and learning the vineyard learning all of that from without the kind of background well I I personally was very fortunate
2: um, in that, you know, I got to work with uh, people like Eric Homaker and Mike Etzel and, and uh, Thomas Batchelder and Dick Ponzi. Uh, Dick Ponzi and Dick E. Raff and, you know, um, it, it it's, it's was a journey that was worth every bit of it. Um, and all the guys that uh, are involved. I mean, when... When we were at uh, Lemelson's, we were there for three years. Um, and Berksham, that's when Josh first started making wine. It was under Eric Homaker's... Uh, hey, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and who else was it? Winders Street. Not known on Winders Street. Uh, Winters, Winter's Hill. Hill. Winters Hill, uh, Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where he met Delphine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, so a really tight community. Mm -hmm. We had. I remember one year. Well, it was what, 2002.
0: I don't know. What are you gonna say? (laughs) (laughs) When when uh,
2: when the uh, Eric calls me up, Lemelson calls me up.
0: Oh yes.
2: In a frantic uh, thing, it's harvest time. It's got ten tons of fruit sitting on the deck. They were you know the Enterprise. Have you seen the Enterprise? Okay, so. The, they had the the uh, stemmer on a cable, and it pulled it up into place, and you'd pin it, hmm. right? And you'd lower it down to clean it and so forth. They were raising it up one time, and the cable
1: Oh
2: And it fell to the ground. And that's a pretty good fault. Yeah. Uh, and just bent the frame, uh, tweaked it out, just totally out of shape. Well, it, apparently when... Um, well, this was Bill Kelly, had ordered uh, a, a D2. For Elvin Glade. For Elvin And uh, it, in the process of coming over on the ship, it got um, salt water in all the electronics. Right? They, something happened. And so the electronics were shot. So the, the folks asked me if I would fix it for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, I had it sitting here waiting for the parts to come when Eric's went down. So we took all the electronics out of it and put them in this one that came over because they sent Bill a new one. We put it together and we had him back up in line in six hours. That's amazing. See, that's the kind of camaraderie you see. We we loaned ours one year when we didn't need it. We loaned it to the Coleman's.
0: And to Belmont.
2: And to Belmont. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brian up one year too, but uh, but in the in the it's like fixing things. We I've built so many sorting lines now uh, in the valley. It's it's, uh, it's pretty interesting to to because uh, I've got to meet all these guys. Yeah. Uh, some some really down to earth people. Some people out there.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, we got a huge mix <laughs> in the fold here, but uh, but I guess that's what makes it interesting. But uh, most of the most of the people that I worked with were really down to earth, salt of the earth type people.
1: You mentioned earlier the the name idea being an acronym for the family, and mm-hmm. of course your family is pretty heavily involved in this. So tell me about what it's like having a family business like this, and the and the advantages and perhaps challenges of that. Oh, family and business are always a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Erica is still, she yeah. is a winemaker, and she consults with Bells Up, and...
2: Um, she does work for us, too. And she works oh. with
0: us, and is working with Kelly. Yeah. And um, Adam helped with Harvest a number of years, and yeah. and he was at University of Oregon, and... Kind of found better things to do. Yeah. So
2: he's he's down with Nike. He's working with Nike. He's an IT guy for Nike.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it's. Yes, I think family and business. There are some families who can do that, and like Ponzi's.
2: They've been successful. Yeah. They've been successful.
0: but Ours were... Uh, Erica's got too many other th- irons in the fire to pay the attention that Dean likes to have.
2: Paid to, to on, 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 as far as the lines right now. But you, we have five grandchildren. Uh, or four, excuse
0: me. Yeah, going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, <okay>. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but... Uh, uh, and they range from 17 to 5, right? So they're, And they're all Erica's, so
0: she's totally, but yeah. she's taken on quilting and winemaking and yeah. softball coaching and...
2: Yeah. She's a busy, busy girl. Yes, <laughs> That's kind of one of the reasons that we've backed down a little bit in our production. We, you know, one time we were, I was having to travel all over the states, uh, selling wine and working with distributors, and, and we just decided enough of that. But, because uh, you're a little guy, you know, the, the as our industry has grown and people are producing a lot more wine, uh, and and the big fish have come in, uh, and they can push and force, just like Budweiser can on the beer side, they push, make it, their wines are right ones being pushed and so as a small producer and uh, small allotments for people you got to get swept under the rug a little bit. This just a lot more work which I didn't want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. So, But we, we like the wine club the way we're set up right now it's just our wine club and we have a very good following mm-hmm. and uh, and and meeting new people here at the bar but we're open by appointment so uh, anymore and uh, and we like that that side of it too, because the people who come are generally interested in wine, mm-hmm. right? They want to learn about, it, they want to know what to happened, how we, how we got there, what we're doing. So, and a
1: lot of them become wine club members. So, tell me about building that following, about about having how, how people found you, uh, especially in the early days. is isn't, isn't exactly a uh, main street out here, well? this yeah. it's not really fair. It is kind of a main street, but kind of off the beaten path a little way. So how did, how did you build that following in the early days? You know, a
2: lot of it was, uh, you know, when we used to do, well, we, you know, the IPNC and so forth, you meet people there, and, and uh, um, but a lot of it was word of mouth, uh, folks that had tried wines. Funny enough, we had a lot of folks come out of Texas that just came out and, and Came here one time and now have been members of our club for <laughs> ten years. There know.
0: is a couple of, of tour, tour guides that um, really like to have their people go to some of the out of the way places. And um, they had some really good clients with them and, and they would always call and, and bring people here. Yeah. Um, so that that was a big part of it, but somebody would come by and have a great experience and then, then they'd be calling and bringing
1: mm-hmm.
0: two other family members or whatever and um, it just kind of went on. We we didn't jump into the wine club deal right off the bat. Yeah. It was more um, just being open every so often and, and then when we were open on, uh, when we had five or six other labels here and then we'd be open over Memorial weekend or Thanksgiving weekend and all six people would be pouring mm-hmm. and um, so we, some of our people would find new a new winery and their people would come and find us and, and so it was those were the really big um, times when we met a lot of people. Yeah. and
2: um, That was a, a, a growing experience for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. It was a win-win for all of us. Um, that pe- and, and every time we had somebody new here bring their groups into it to taste, and, and they get to experience a whole bunch of different wines. Sometimes we'd have 25 wines, you know, in the tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got a little bit of everything, you know, you would go through and they'd try all the whites and then they'd go back through and try it. But they, they got to experience different vineyards different mm-hmm. soils, different winemakers, uh, all in one location. So it really worked well for, uh, for exposure for all of us. Mm-hmm. Kind of that camaraderie thing again, you know, you get back into that where everybody's working together. Right. Instead of uh, trying to keep people to themselves, they would share you know, and so it a uh, a good experience,
1: the Oregon way, if you will. Sure. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, Anne, you you have the you have the business background here. So, tell me about uh, sort of implementing that into a small family winery and how you have helped to grow helped it grow.
0: Uh, I don't know. Um, I just I worked at a financial. I was in the banking part of the trust company so um... (laughs) Joe... It just was it like when Dean had aerial equipment I did the books for that and it was then I had to learn all the things that we needed to do to stay in compliance and paperwork and that and I've just done that and uh, Mm, we send out a few newsletters, not very many, because I don't—I never think I'm going to say the right thing, <laughs> or have enough to say, and uh, so we just we do the wine club in-house and keep it to a under 150, and and so that it's manageable.
1: Was there anything unexpected about? having a wine business. You talk about the paperwork, and we've heard a lot about paperwork over the years. Was there anything unexpected about that?
0: No, I don't think so. It, the, the worst part, I think, of the whole paperwork is that every state has a different rule. It's like they want to outdo their neighbor with something more <laughs> crazy to ask for. And... Um, if oh if there was some way that all the states a, didn't have a yeah. you know it could be something
2: a federal thing instead. Well,
0: of yeah, but I don't think you want that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Maybe not. <laughs> That's true.
0: I mean the yeah. the federal's part of it too, yeah. but um yeah. Not About so the, paperwork, but we're we're small enough that that there's that the paperwork is I'm sure, just minuscule compared to mm-hmm. a winery of, of a much larger size. So.
1: so you've talked a little bit about this already, but I'm curious um, the the sort of the major changes you've seen in the industry since you became part of it. You're looking at almost 30 years now in the industry. So what are the what, besides just pure size? What are the other changes you've noticed about or, about the Oregon wine industry?
2: Well, yeah. I, I I think the same concern we had back then, we still have now, Mm -hmm. Uh, some of us anyway. Um, The problem that I see is that we worked so hard to build the Oregon brand, right, Mm -hmm. of quality and so forth, and and it's changing, the mass production of of Pinot Noir, um, it's I don't think it's changing for the better. Um, there's so many labels out there with, that are just non-interesting wines. I mean, they're just not what they should be. Uh, it's not what Pinot tastes like. What?
0: Yeah, I don't know if that should be on on record for you saying. Well,
2: I can say that because <laughs> I feel that way. But, okay. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable what they're Offing as Willamette Valley uh, Pinot Noir, and uh, so I mean there's there's some uh, of some there's a lot of really focused people making really good wines. the The problem is is that the ones that are being shown all over the country don't represent these people. And. Uh, so that's that's a big concern is that just because it says willamette valley on it doesn't mean it's good doesn't mean it's what oregon is all about and uh, i don't know it's 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 interesting but there's a lot of really good producers still that are focused and still trying to do a good job even though they're making a lot more wine than they used to
1: mm-hmm. uh, It can be done you just gotta want to do it do you still see the same kind of camaraderie that you, you talked about in the, in the earlier days?
0: On a much smaller scale. Yeah.
1: It's still the old the
2: the friends have been friends for a lot of years, mm-hmm. a lot of years.
0: But everybody gets, you know, it going in so many directions as families grow, and so then you have your own family, and and it's hard to to get together as often as mm-hmm. as, as we, as we did, to. yeah. yeah.
2: We used to get together a lot.
0: Yeah. More than
2: we do now. Mm-hmm. But everybody, you know, like I say, yeah, exactly what Ann said. You know, families grow, and kids are, have kids, and you know, and everything kind of. It's, and it's just what happens. Plus, you get
0: old and you slow down. You get old and you
2: slow down. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't don't uh,
1: party quite like we used to. <laughs> that would be the. Appropriate thing to say. Right. Yeah. You've told some some fun stories already, but I'm curious if you have a, sort of a favorite memory or, or favorite time of your of your wine journey. Is there a favorite something you look back on with with most fondness?
2: <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah. I, I I still I still come back to when we were planting uh, the dynamite block up at. Uh, that it borders Whistling Ridge and Burrow Michael bought this block or had it as part of his place. We finally decided to plant it. It's right next to Dick and Patricia Albor's.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there were some big stumps in the, uh, in the area where we had to get rid of them. And, uh, and I had a dynamite license back then.
1: I like where this is going.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and anyway,
2: so we, uh, Mikey was there. All of Mike's boys were there. And well,
0: they were all little.
2: They were little like back then. This was Nine, this was on, ten, 12, something like that. And so we were blasting these stumps. And uh, one particular one that we let off uh, we might have got a little bit carried away with with the fertilizer. But uh, anyways, there were some big chunks flying out into the vineyard, into Dick Alboards <laughs> And he was out there He was working. on a tractor. He was on a tractor, <laughs> and he comes out of there and goes, oh, I hope you got good insurance, at my Because we were blasting, stuff was flying everywhere. You know. But yeah, we there's a lot of times like that, you know, when you just, just, doing life, mm-hmm. you know, that's what it was all about, doing our thing, but uh, that was one of my favorite ones. <laughs> I can still, still see the expression on his <laughs> face. That was many years ago too. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah. He was probably in his 70's and he's 93 yeah. or 4 now. Yeah.
1: What do you what do you see? You've mentioned some concerns about the Oregon industry. What do you guys see as you look ahead to Oregon wine? What is Oregon wine going to look like in a in a decade?
2: California. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. How do
2: you mean? Well, I just it's it's growing so fast and it it's so competitive anymore. Uh, where before uh, we had competition but it was good competition it was a different kind of a thing and I was trying to shepherd everybody else out and, you know we, we saw it happening early on uh, when uh, a big winery would come in and buy up contracts from people right mm-hmm. uh, and then as soon as their vineyards came online they would uh, cancel that and then the grower that, that had gone with a particular one and it's had to go back and try to get the people that he was working with for years on a handshake. And uh, mm-hmm. of course you're real reluctant to do that after you've been burned like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But you, you establish that, especially when you're doing single vineyard stuff that you're, you know, I mean you're working on as a team. The fruit is there, the, you know, it, it's, it's promoting their terroir, their Mm-hmm. They're hard labor, and you're producing your wines uh, in a certain fashion and kind of gets lost when, when that kind of thing happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? I think the, the industry is growing. It's becoming stronger, but it is it's getting kind of
1: blurry. Mm-hmm. So, not quite as focused. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that, Ann? Do you have any... Con- uh, concerns I as look ahead.
0: happened to be looking at Facebook the other day and um, Josh Bergstrom posted a, a picture of a, a Christum 2011 Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And to hear him talking or feeling like he had the privilege to still know these some of these early, early days wineries and and be able to post that, yeah, he's a winemaker, blah, 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 but he's drinking mm-hmm. this other wine that was showing so beautifully. I can't remember, I was gonna see if I could even find the words. I mean, that he just really bold. put mm-hmm. it into a, it was a good, good thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I won't be able to find it, but. <laughs> it was It was a beautiful thing that he said about the industry as a family mm-hmm. and um, the fact that you could admire another member of that family's work
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah friend friendly competition mm-hmm. yeah. right. right
0: and i I do think some of that is is getting lost
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: but fortunately, there are some. Well, still a small
1: group. <laughs> You've talked about slowing down a bit here. What are you seeing as you look ahead for, for India? Well, I think that uh, I, I'm pretty
2: confident that Erica will probably carry on um, the whole thing. As, as her kids grow, and the, the boys are in the uh, ocean's a, a senior in high school now, and Forrest is a year behind. And, and uh, Alistair's now in school, so, uh, and Catula's, uh, pretty well, you know, she's on her way as far as, uh, being able to take care of, uh, even helping with Alistair quite a bit mm-hmm. and so on. So, she'll have more time, and I think she probably will, and it's kind of up to her what she wants to do with the, idea label, mm-hmm. um, in that respect. Um, you know, we, we, I, I personally will still be, uh, Making wine as long as I possibly can, while I physically can do it, mm-hmm. um, I enjoy it. I enjoy making wine. Selling like is a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoy having people come in and and spend an afternoon and talk about wines and what we're doing. And, and uh, uh, but when people like what you're doing, and uh, it's really uh, mm-hmm. hard wine.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But um, as far as Adia, uh, you know, Kelly's kind of, Kelly's here now and she, you know, she's ten years younger than I am, or more, I shouldn't say what, yes, and, uh, and, and Tivo will be here until he starts his own winery and mm-hmm. so uh, with Erica doing her thing and she's doing consulting work, we got people who call all the time wanting us to make wine for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure she'll probably pick up a Custom Crush client or two, and, and, and continue doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've always done, for the last 20 years, I've done uh, share crop with people, mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. The Mora family, uh, they help me uh, plant I my mean, vineyard. You know, I've known those guys for 30 years. Uh, and they consult and they uh, manage vineyards. And a lot of vineyards that they planted, the, the folks now are reaching the age where they don't want to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Oni and, and Valentine are carrying or leasing the vineyards and selling the fruit and taking care of the vineyards. And uh, so that's turned into a really uh, a good long term thing. So we do a a, 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 a Mora family vineyard. Uh, uh, label uh, under a dia. Uh, they don't have a license and so forth. So, you know, but we just like I would do a uh, cherry grove or a oxygen mm-hmm. and so forth. And that's helping them to build their situation so that someday they'll they'll want to do their thing too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, good people,
1: hard working. So, so. Um, yeah. pause here for just one second. Yeah. Have fun. Get beautiful. Thank you so much. thank yes, you. Thank you, nice thank you. Thank nice you nice. Anne. These people get trimmed up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's
2: got, he, he finally got his hair to grow back and shaved him to do it. <laughs> his
1: hair is finally going back. But, uh, we're going to try to even it out now. <laughs> Well I've gone through all the questions that I have for you. Uh, is there anything I should have asked that I didn't? Anything we didn't cover that we should have covered? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of stories that could be
2: told. Uh, <laughs> of course. there's A lot of things that could be said. But, uh, you know, all in all, Oregon, hopefully Oregon will always be Oregon. You know, I mean, as far as the type of people and the, and the way people think <laughs> um, here. Uh, and there's such good in in the wine
1: industry, uh, and, and I hope it always will be that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much well, for your time today, for your hospitality, and oh, uh, absolutely. Well, go ahead, so, let we'll you off the hook here. Okay. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast, and thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success.